Apologies for that, it's about keeping us all on our toes, isn't it? Uh, please excuse me if I'm a little more casual this morning and I've taken the tie that my daughter made off. Uh, obviously you can come and check it out later on if you want to get fashion label going on. Perhaps we can turn an industry into it. Uh, we're going to be looking at God's word this morning and particularly looking at God the Father. We need his help if we're going to understand him. And so let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you on this day that we can come uh, and we can sit and hear you speak to us. Uh, we pray that you would speak clearly to us through your word and by your spirit, that we might know you well, uh, and in knowing you that we would live differently, uh, that we would live in a way that actually honours you as our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning, as I said, we're looking at God the Father. Uh, but we have to recognise the elephant in the room, that whenever we say God the Father, there's a picture that forms in our minds of earthly fathers. Fathers we look around and see, our own fathers. And we have a funny view of fathers in our society. You know, we have a special day for them today, but it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek day of honour that we wouldn't really do to mothers. You know, so on the radio on Friday, uh, Australian entertainer Colin Buchanan sang a song and this was the chorus. Uh, Dad jokes are bad jokes. It's sad, but it's true. If you love your dad's jokes, the joke is on you. Dad jokes are bad jokes, I'm sorry to say. They're a joke with the funny bit taken away. Uh, yeah, it's quite enjoyable. Um, I suppose in me, just kind of recounting it as a father, I managed to take the funny bit away. But if you heard it live, it was quite entertaining. You see, we, we love fathers kind of mixed with a tinge of a little bit of cheek and mockery. Uh, of course, there are more serious concerns, aren't there, about bad fathers? You know, a young man uh, had a conversation in hospital with his dying father. Uh, the father had been a perpetually busy man, uh, had not spent much time with his children uh, and his son expressed to him the regret he felt about that. Uh, the father remi- responded by reminding his son that he'd worked long hours in order to put food on the table and to feed the family and, and create opportunities and the son just remained silent. But in his heart... What he really wanted was to tell his father that he'd never been as hungry for uh, food as he had been for his father's time and presence. See, our mixed feelings as a society about dads means that we've all got these grids that hear or, or perhaps mishear any concept we have of God the Father. So much so that, that some people actually tried to run away from that revelation of God that he is father. Uh, an English bishop, Timothy Stevens, at his enthronement had this prayer read. Uh, we pray eternal God for your awakening within us from disillusion to truth and unto your righteous way. Lead us, source of all, our father and our mother. Uh, for some Christians, there's a desire to even get away from that father language as such a bad image of what fathers are like. And I'm aware for some Christians, uh, and perhaps here today, who've had appalling, um, even evil fathers, that just using the words, our Heavenly Father, uh, in the way that Jesus recommends, will actually be painful. See, fatherhood, when we hear those words, when we hear Father, because it's got a confused reputation in our society, God's reputation becomes mixed. What I want us to do this morning is overturn that a little. 
all over and completely. I want us to start with God himself rather than starting with our kind of human fathers. Put them aside and focus on what God says about himself as father. So if you, if you've just joined us and if you uh, came in a little later and missed Scott's intro, we've been, we're looking, uh, spending four weeks looking at God himself, the Trinity. Uh, last week we looked at the perfect relationship, that God is one God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that at his, his very core, at his essence, at his being, God is those three persons in perfect interconnected unity. That, that by the virtue of their eternal love, they actually live in one another to such an extent and they dwell in another to, to such an extent that they are in fact one. It is the process of pure and perfect empathy. So God is three persons relating so perfectly, so intimately that they become one. They are one. And that ultimate reality of who God is uh, actually shapes each and every one of us. So it means that we have to give soul worship to him, the one God. But that worship is actually about engaging uh, in part with personal relationship with him. Not as an impersonal being but personally relating to God and with others uh, because relationships become the ultimate reality. And so as people, we who bear the image of God, we who are made that way, we actually have to conduct our relationships like him. And so that's the great adventure of life, isn't it? To, to grow in your relationship with God and with other people. And if we're going to actually live that adventure out, we actually need to know God deeply. We need to know him well so that we can relate well to him and others. What I want us to see this morning is the distinctiveness of God the Father. What makes God the Father distinct from God the Son or God the Spirit? And so how therefore do we relate to him differently as opposed to the other members of the Trinity? And what is it going to look like for us to bear that image of our Father in our daily life. So what makes the first person of the Trinity God the Father? Well, he is distinctive as the benevolent authority of the Godhead. That's catchy, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Let me put it another way. He is the leader who does what's best for the rest of the Trinity. Okay? Uh, God's fatherhood is first and foremost not about how he treats us. Okay, we've got natural egos, um, sometimes the Bible calls it sin, and we're always inclined to think that every bit of truth revolves around us and that it's really starting with us and it's all about how does it relate to me? Well, it, let's be honest, it doesn't. Um, you, you know, yes, you're valued, but you're not that important. The world doesn't revolve around you or me. It starts within God. And so before we understand how God relates to his creation, to, to us, outside himself, we actually look, have, to, have to first look at his internal relations, how he relates to himself. So God the Father is defined by his relation to God the Son and God the Spirit and by nothing else, not by us. And our TV ratings are anything to go by. We, uh, as a society, are a voyeuristic one. Uh, reality shows are not just cheap to produce, um, but they're strangely popular. I suspect you can't have lived uh, in the last few years with a television in your house and not seen one and perhaps even become hooked on one. You know, Survivor, Big Brother, Australian Idol, so you think you can dance, Super Nanny, Wife Swap, Make Me a Supermodel. The list just kind of goes on and on of this fairly trashy reality TV. Uh, whether it's simply to feel better about ourselves, you know, we sit there and go, well, at least I wouldn't do that. Uh, or whether there's some kind of longing we have for, you know, an authentic connection with people in a, in a time-poor society. You know, we just watch. 
and we like to watch others. But I doubt we learn. In his kindness, God has effectively opened up a window into his life. Kind of like the Bible acts to some degree as a reality, reality show of God. He has opened himself up for that kind of treatment. Both though to humble us, because we actually learn, ooh, I'm actually not as good as that, but also to give us authentic connection. And we have to learn from it. So in the scriptures, God actually opens up to how he relates at home, so to speak, how he relates in himself. I want to suggest John's Gospel is perhaps the richest source of that, or the best camera to watch through. And looking through that Gospel, we actually see God the Father who exerts benevolent authority within the Trinity, that distinctive role of bearing responsibility to make decisions to lead in the best interests of the Godhead. So first of all, he has authority. It's It's the Father who is the source of decision-making and direction. Over and over again, Jesus speaks of his Father sending the Son and sending the Spirit. So John 14, 24. I've given you references. I haven't written them out. If you're keen, jot them down and look them up later, but I'll read them out. Uh, These words you... This is Jesus speaking. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Uh, And 14, 26. The counsel of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Uh, John 17.8 They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed you sent me. John 20.21 Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now the Son never sends the Father, nor does the Spirit. And the sending is not kind of an offer of choices for the Son. When When the Father sets a direction, even with equally divine persons, it is to be obeyed. So John 14.31 The world must learn I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The Father has an authority within God himself that means the Son, Jesus, through whom everything in creation was made still actually has to turn to the Father and still make requests. You know, you'd think that Christ um, who, who is God would never need to ask anyone for anything. And yet, because of right and perfect relationships, which doesn't equal identity, identical roles, he does nothing without asking his Father. And so there's that beautiful chapter in John 17 which starts, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed. It's a continued mark of Jesus' life on earth that he turns back and speaks and asks for his Father. Um, perhaps most remarkably, after rising from the dead, before he ascends up into to heaven, Jesus says this in John 20. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus calls the Father his God. Now, don't misunderstand this. He's not at this point denying his own divinity and saying, rather, he's explaining the important authority that the Father, God the Father, has in the Trinity. So a God is that which you love, which you trust, which you obey. Uh, I said a few weeks ago, as Martin Luther pointed out, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. Trust and faith of the heart alone make both God an idol. The Father 
is who the son loves. The father is who the son trusts. The father is who the son obeys. In that sense, Jesus calls his father, my God. What God's self-disclosure about his inner working says is that patriarchy is alive in the heart of God. And perhaps that sends shivers down our spine, just that word itself. Patriarchy has a bad name, and with good reason. Uh, For too long, uh, in practice, the authority of fathers has been abusive and self-interested. Some forms of feminism, now of course feminist movement is really broad and far more complex than one single stance, but some form of feminism would see patriarchy itself as the opposition. So Frederica Scarth writes, Neither men nor women live their bodies authentically under patriarchy. Now it's quite true that uh, under abused patriarchy, which is a veil for for self-interest and oppression, that actually is the enemy of authentic reality because authentic reality is about good relationships, loving relationships. Uh, And abusive patriarchy uh, is about hatred, not love. I think perhaps more helpfully Chris Beasley comments... Feminism is a critique of misogyny, the assumption of male superiority and centrality, uh, rather than necessarily patriarchy. Uh, It's that hatred, that abusive part. You see, in the inner relations of God, we actually see a patriarchy that is entirely other person-centred. It's an authority that is built on love, not hatred. Uh, For God the Father exerts his authority with absolute other person-centredness. Again, just running through, through a few verses from John, we see the benevolence of God the Father to the others in the Trinity. So John 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. John 5, 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. The Father loves the Son and he gives him authority and responsibility. He shares his work and he shares his knowledge. Uh, Ultimately, all his commands, all the commands the Father makes, even the one sending his Son into the world that he might die, is actually from love. Uh, John 17, verse 23. uh, May they be brought, this is Jesus' prayer, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. See, we we generally, when we think of Jesus coming to the world, we generally focus on a passage like John 3.16, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we focus that it's purely for love of the world. And, well, yeah, it's true, God did send his son because he loved the world. He loved people like you and me. But there's more. There's a purpose beyond that, a greater, deeper purpose. It's that he loved his son and wanted to see his son glorified. See, prior to coming to the world, the son uh, had a glorious co-creator. He, he had authority over, over people but of people who were destined for destruction. After his death for for our sins, Jesus has glory not just as a maker, but as our saviour. And so he has a better form of authority. As he says in John 17, 
uh, verse 2, you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Uh, He's got authority now not just over people who are dying and destined for destruction but people who will live forever and be with him. It's a greater authority that he has come for. God the Father has absolute unchallenged authority in the Godhead but he never uses it for self-interest. It is benevolent, not brutal. Now he doesn't always make decisions for the Godhead that are comfortable or easy for those other members. Jesus coming into the world and going to the cross was not comfortable or easy but it was for his best. It's a patriarchy of love and the way that God relates within himself actually flows beyond to the way he treats you and me. So God the Father becomes God our Father. Jesus repeatedly speaks of his Father and their unique relationship but sometimes he pushes beyond that and uses language to speak of how God is our Father. Our Father who has benevolent authority over us. So in Matthew 5 verse 45, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, who causes his Son to rise on both the evil and the good, and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. He is in authority, but he is gracious and giving to even those who don't deserve. He exercises absolute authority over creation for good. So Matthew seven eleven, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? For the Father's love within the Trinity is for people who deserve it. The Son deserves to be loved. The Spirit deserves to be loved. You and I don't deserve it. And so his fatherly love as us as humans is built on compassion. Psalm 68, a father to the fathers, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. He takes in those who have none, no other. He invites uh, us in Jesus to, to actually share and enjoy the loving fatherly care that we don't deserve. Uh, again, it doesn't mean it's always easy. Hebrews 12 talks about our need for being disciplined, being corrected, being trained from our Heavenly Father so that we become holy, we become different, become like Jesus rather than like ourselves, so to speak. Discipline has both a a, negative side, which we all recognise as correction, but there's a positive side. He models. And discipline in Hebrews 12 is a sign that you are legitimate and that you are loved. So for me, I see a a child on a bus who's misbehaving and uh, I ignore it. I see a child of mine on the bus misbehaving and uh, let's just say I act. I have to act. Uh, It's a sign that they are loved by me and I am responsible for them. Uh, As we chatted with the kids earlier, uh, while our human dads do our best, God genuinely does what's best for us. And God, that the Father, the benevolent leader of the Godhead, becomes our father and that has to shape our fatherhood as well. Uh, We read it in Ephesians 3, (laughs) when we got back to 3, my error, that all families derive their name from God. God the Father reshapes fatherhood. So, So earthly fathers, this is your job. Be a benevolent authority. Lead your family as best for them. 
Uh, in Ephesians 6, 4, write this down, Colossians 3:21, two passages where uh, I suppose there are special instructions for families. Children are addressed first, honour your, honor your, both your parents, both your father and mother, and yet the flip side, the corollary, straight after that is fathers, your job. Mothers aren't picked up on at that point. Now, it doesn't mean mothers aren't vital, but there's a particular weight on the father as a benevolent authority at home. Uh, it's why for me, during the week, I spend uh, a lot of time meeting up with, with men from the congregation. I take time to chat and we read the scriptures and we pray uh, because if I'm encouraging them, they will in turn look after their families. Now, I'm struggling with them to be uh, leaders who actually do good, who provide for uh, our families physically and emotionally and spiritually. And that's a, that's a hard and, let me say, guilt-inducing job, job description. Um, Marcus Padley, a stockbroker, recently wrote, I work from home occasionally and am more than aware that my family have to talk to my back while I stare at the stock market. Young families are a passing moment that never, never to be recovered. It is an expensive mistake to come home from a proper job and think your unofficial investment job entitles you to ignore your children's youth evaporating, especially at weekends. The children don't deserve their heads bitten off because you're a bad investor. Yeah, I, I feel for him, I feel his struggle. Uh, we as sinful fathers, I think, fall into two categories fairly quickly and easily, two bad habits. Either on one hand we abdicate authority, you know, whether it's we won't take the tough decisions uh, for the good of the family and we just leave our wives to bear that on our own or, or whether it's we come home so tired from work uh, that we're as good as absent. You know, I know there are some dads who even choose to stay longer at their paid work because it's easier and it brings far more respect and kudos than going home and leading there. In a society with mixed views about fathers, it's why we need non-fathers, you here who aren't fathers, to actually keep affirming the value of that good work of fatherhood. The other sin, of course, is going the other way of abusing authority. That unlike God the Father, we would rule for self-interest. Now, of course, there are extremes of abusive authority uh, but even in the little things you can give away, whether it's self-serving, you know, always choosing the comfiest chair in any given room or having absolute domain over the remote control and it only goes on your favourite shows. You know, just little things give away how we lead. I suppose that's a particular word for some of us here today, but not all of us, but I do hope everyone listened in so that they can actually support fathers in doing that and doing it well. Esteem them and praise them when they're doing that job well because... They won't get it elsewhere. They won't get it at work. But God's fatherhood is not just a message for dads. It's about you coming as his child. I want to suggest three implications that I want you to pick up on today. Firstly, you can find comfort with God the Father as a good father. See, if you've got bad experiences of an earthly father, you've got to be scarred. If your, if your dad was absent or if you ruled with an iron fist or if he was self-serving, I want to say the great news is you can go to a father who loves you deeply. Even if you've got a great dad here, as I'm sure many of us do, there is a better one. A one who is always and in everything going to act for your good. 
I want to say, if you don't have that relationship with him yet, you need to take it up today. Secondly, I want to say, focus your requests on him. It's a particular way of honouring the Father rather than the Son or the Spirit. So an amazing privilege that we have as Christian people is we can take our requests and our concerns and our longings and our grief, we can take it straight to the Father, God, God, the Godhead's authority, the giver. Uh, it's interesting that as far as I can tell, um, and please come and correct me later on, uh, there are no instances in the Bible of people praying to the Spirit or at least instructed to pray to the Spirit. And as far as I can tell, there's only three uh, where people pray to Jesus. Uh, so there's Stephen in Acts 7, uh, there's Revelation 21, uh, come Lord Jesus, and Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, I think he's speaking to the Lord about removing the, the thorn from his flesh. Uh, now I'm not saying, don't mishear me, I'm not saying it's sinful to pray to Jesus or sinful to pray to the Spirit, the other persons, but I think the way scripture points is, what, why would you go to them when you can go to the absolute authority, when you can go to the highest, the one who actually makes the decisions why wouldn't you go straight to them? And that it can be a point of us honouring and relating openly to the Father and his role that we pray to him in the same way that I would expect you know, my youngest daughter to come and speak to me with a request rather than going through her older brothers and sisters. The third thing is accept his benevolent authority. You and I are not free to pick and choose what we like God the Father to tell us. If we acknowledge his fatherly authority, we acknowledge it in everything. Uh, sure, it still requires discernment. There are some areas in life where the father um, calls us to be wise in exercising freedom, you know, like what job you take. But some areas are absolute, like whether you can be loving or selfish at your job. You have to be loving because you know the answer. Uh, we must accept his authority, remembering that it's for our good, it's benevolent. But sometimes that's going to be hard. But the Father is always working for our good. And that knowledge is going to reframe your perception of hardship and tough times and suffering. You know, the most Christ-like people, the most godly people I know have all been through lots of hardship and suffering. Uh, Don't mishear me. Suffering is not fun. It's not easy. Um, Jesus, the true son, wept in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, He cried out on the cross. But knowing it's for your good makes it possible to endure and grow and even in time be thankful. I hope today's a great day. I hope your Father's Day is fun if you spend time with your dad. But particularly, I hope this is a day where you celebrate your relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come before you, uh, accepted as your children through what Jesus has done. We thank you for the compassionate way that you deal with us. We thank you that you are a, uh, a benevolent authority, always acting for our good, and we ask that you would uh, help us to find both comfort in your fatherly care, but also have the strength uh, to obey and live your ways as is best for us. Uh, Father, we ask this that you and your Son and the Spirit might all be glorified. In Jesus' name, Amen.